The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're so excited to have everybody around. And in fact, we've got a special guest here today that we'll be getting to in just a moment. Uh, another crazy week, right? We were in uh, Atlanta becoming a certified human behavior consultant. Uh, if you don't know what that is, you can just uh, email me, text me, hit me up on Twitter. We'd be happy to discuss it with you. But really getting in-depth with DISC profiles. And, and I, I waited quite some time to go through this training uh, so that I could be trained by by the absolute best in the world, Dr. Robert Rome. Uh, we got a chance to meet Dr. Rome when we were at the John Maxwell team uh, last year in in August, and so was so excited to be uh, a part of this training. And it's really a fascinating study. And I've been doing disc profiles really for the last six years, uh, but nothing you know in this depth. So it was a phenomenal training. Got a chance to uh, spend some time with with some new friends uh, throughout that. So we did that for a couple of days. Then in South Carolina, wrapping up uh, an event there. And so just, again, another crazy week. We've been all over the place, uh, especially the last three weeks. So next week, get a chance to stay at home in, in Birmingham. Uh, and we're going to be teaching a, a five-day seminar there in Birmingham, uh, Alabama, but I get to be home. So talking about work-life balance, we're so excited to have some work-life balance in the coming weeks. Uh, really excited about the numbers that have come out. So the listening audience, we appreciate you. We love you. We see those numbers growing. I know I've got some special people in the audience today, um, and one of those I'm going to shout out directly. So uh, a great friend of mine, Corey Sigler, uh, said she was going to be listening today. And, um, you know, it's amazing as we do this, as you cross paths with people and as you work with people, there's certain people that come in and out of your life. And, and Corey was somebody that that was with me on my one of my very first implementations of CAPPM years ago and uh, struck up a friendship with friends ever since. And, and I'm glad she's part of the audience uh, today. So it was, it was wonderful to see her message pop up today uh, right before the show. So let's get into it. We've got a, a very special guest who's staying up very late tonight for uh, just for us, just for this audience uh, because it's a little bit after 11 where he is at the moment. And uh, he's an author of eight books and, and really about rational living, uh, including When Everything Fails, Try This. He's got a book called Rationality is the Way to Happiness. Another one called The Philosophy of Builders, How to Build a Great Future with the Pieces from Your Past. Uh, one called The Ten Principles of Rational Living. Another one called Rational Living, Rational Working, and How to Make Winning Moves When Things Are Falling Apart. 
as well as one called Consistency, the Key to Permanent Stress Relief, which I believe is going to be the topic we're discussing today. Uh, there's many more books, and you can find his, uh, his picture, his profile, and everything on our website and voiceamerica.com on uh, the work-life balance. But let's bring him on right now, uh, John Vespasian. John, how are you doing, sir? Uh, hi, uh, Rick. Thanks for having me on. And you're in the Netherlands, so this is uh, our first international interview on the show. So welcome, sir. Yes, I'm calling from uh, from the Netherlands, Europe. Uh, it's now uh, 20, uh, 23 hours. It's uh, 11 p.m. in the in the evening. Outstanding. So uh, introduce yourself to our audience. Tell them just a little bit more about yourself. Yes, I'm an author of, about, uh, of, of books about um, uh, personal development. I started to write in uh, 2008. Uh, basically, uh, out of frustration, because uh, for many for many years, for decades, I have been a reader of uh, psychology, uh, philosophy, uh, personal development. And at a certain point, I grew very dissatisfied with the kind of books you can find in the market. I found most of them very unrealistic, um, very enthusiastic, and very very nice to read, but very unrealistic, very superficial. And uh, I started to write uh, the kind of books I want to read, which are very much uh, based on history. Uh, based on facts, and based on, um, on logic. And this is the kind of books I write. I've, it's now um, eight books. Uh, book number nine will be coming out in uh, November this year. And they are all based on facts, on, on research, on history, uh, without uh, any uh, positive thinking. Outstanding. And so why history so much? Why, why do you choose history as your, as your main teacher? Because uh, when, you, when you focus on the short term and you focus on the news, and you focus on the newspapers, and you focus on what's going on, you don't have perspective. You cannot really draw conclusions uh, from stories that you read uh, in the media because you don't know the end of the story. And it happens very often that uh, someone who uh, looks very successful and very happy, and you see that uh, 10, 10, 10 years later is completely bankrupt and commits suicide. And I think everybody was shocked uh, when, um, when actor uh, Robin Williams committed suicide uh, a couple of years ago. And he was uh, a hero for many of us, a very successful comedian, actor, entertainer. And then when we discovered all the details and we heard all his um, terrible mistakes, uh, we realized that uh, we only knew part of the story. And this is why I prefer to focus on, on stories where I know the end, I know the whole picture from beginning to the end, and then I can draw conclusions. And so is that why consistency is something that you're very passionate about? Yes, I'm very uh, passionate about consistency and rationality. I understand that uh, human beings, all of us, are very much uh, irrational to a certain extent, because to a, to a great extent we're still animals, and we tend to panic uh, when we focus, um, when, we, when, we, when we face with problems. And we find it very difficult to, uh, to be consistent. And this is why we are so stressed, uh, so anxious, and, and sometimes depressed. And the, the purpose of this book, uh, Consistency, um, the key uh, to, uh, to long-term, to permanent uh, stress relief, is to try to make uh, all of us, including myself, a little bit more rational and to try to, um, to understand the real uh, causes behind the stress and why um, in our industrial world, when we have so much wealth, and so many opportunities where it's still uh, even more stressed than people 50 years ago. And this is uh, the purpose of the book, to understand the process and to find the solutions. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. It, the, 
So when you say the key to a balanced life, why is it so difficult to lead a balanced life? I mean, this show is the work-life balance, and, and we, we talk as, as much as often to, to try to make sure that we're keeping focus on that, but it's difficult. Why do you think it's so difficult? Well, first, there is a, there is a misconception, because um, when we talk about balanced life, uh, most people believe, okay, it has to be like 50% family and 50% work, and then you need some holidays, and you need like a structure. Uh, where everything is parceled out and then you have uh, different areas. But this is not really what makes people stress. I mean, if you have a um, uh, perfect balance like eight hours here and eight hours there, it does not guarantee that you will have balance because what is important is that uh, you have balance with your ideas and with your, um, your goals. If your goals are consistent and you are doing something that uh, in the long term uh, motivates you, uh, that uh, is something is a goal that you want to pursue, it doesn't matter how many hours you work. It doesn't matter if, uh, if you um, uh, have a horrendous uh, family life because in the end you will be very happy. And you see, um, this is a misconception that people have, that you, mean, you must be successful in all areas. And when you look at history and you look at examples of people who are extremely happy and extremely successful, you see very often that there are people who are focused on just a few things that they enjoy enormously and they do them all the time. So the, the key to a balanced life, a life without stress, is basically a life without inconsistencies, a life where you know exactly what you want, uh, you go after it, and you pay the price. And sometimes the price is uh, an imbalanced life. And it's not too, too bad to be unbalanced, I would say, in times of uh, time distribution. The important thing is that you are balanced in your mind, that uh, you know what you want, you go for it. And if you spend uh, 16 hours a day uh, pursuing your dreams, it doesn't necessarily make you stressed. Well, and so you, you said something earlier, too, around positive thinking. I think a lot of people, you know, read a lot of stuff that says, you know, if I think positively, I'll be positive. A lot of people think that that healthy attitude or healthy life uh, begins with the mind. And, and you've got some alternative views on that. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I think uh, to be optimistic is, uh, is a great thing and I'm really all for it. But uh, I really want to warn people against um, positive thinking because uh, if you understand positive thinking in a way which is, um, I mean, what you see uh, in the movies, huh, when people just, okay, they have a dream and then something happens and then they get it in the end and this kind of stuff, where there is a lot of chance involved, there is a lot of um, luck, there is a lot of coincidences. And I think uh, you should not build your life or your career or your relationships on these kind of expectations. And one thing that I really uh, underline in my books is that it is much better to be realistic, uh, to focus on a career when you really have good perspectives, and not just uh, repeat yourself 10 times a day that you're going to be successful if you are uh, going in the wrong direction. And the great uh, danger of positive thinking is that um, you get into inside your head and you lose touch with reality. And this is very dangerous because uh, if you just repeat uh, to yourself, uh, uh, 10 times a day or 100 times a day, you are, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, and you are going in the wrong direction, uh, you are going to fail to see the warnings. And this is very dangerous. So I think um, one thing that uh, people have to realize is that um, normally in history you will see that um, people who are realistic and persistent usually are much more successful and happier than people who are enthusiastic uh, without any reason. So let me be clear then, you're, you're not against 
positive thinking. What you are is is against delusional positive thinking in the sense of it, it's it's okay to think positively or be optimistic or have a positive outlook of what you're going after. What what's not okay is is having some sort of mantra that you're giving yourself every day and not really taking action. So it's more starting and going after your dreams and making sure you're following those dreams versus just sitting there wishing your dreams to come true. Is that is that a, a good way to say it? Um, partly, this is totally correct, but I would like to add just one thing, that you have to make sure that uh, your dreams are, um, let me say, there is a plan, there is a feasibility approach uh, to what you want. And let me give you an example. Uh, there are so many people that uh, try to become uh, actors and models and um, uh, writers and, uh, I don't know, theater um, uh, playwrights and all this kind of stuff. And you see, these markets are very small. It takes uh, a lot of work and uh, a lot of luck and a lot of persistence uh, to become successful in those markets because they are very, very small. There are only a few uh, thousand people in the world that actually make money in those markets. And uh, I think that people have to be realistic. When you're trying to pursue a career uh, where the chances of success are very, very low, uh, like becoming a pop artist or, or this kind of stuff, I mean, you have to be realistic and see if it's really worth it. And uh, positive thinking can give you sometimes uh, delusional ideas that everything is possible, everything is possible. But no, uh, not everybody can be an opera singer. Uh, not everybody can be a ballerina or a, or a, uh, or a uh, movie star. And it's much better to understand the market and then to pursue dreams that are feasible, that are ambitious, but still realistic. So positive thinking in the way that is presented uh, very often in the media, I think is very, very dangerous uh, it has become sort of a religion in some areas, and uh, I think it's uh, driving many people into depression and anxiety. Well, I think that's an interesting point. We're going to stop right here and take our first break. And when we come back, I want to I dive into that a little bit further, especially with the generational gaps that we have. Um, because I think some people, in, in myself included, are struggling with that a little bit because on one side, you want people to believe that they can they can achieve anything that they set their mind to. And I understand the realism portion of that. And, you know, obviously, you know, I, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, a, a five foot four woman when, I, you know, I'm a six foot one man. It, it, so th- there's certain things that are just realistic and certain things that aren't. Um, but at the same time, if we give up in the first sign of resistance, then we'll never achieve anything either. And so is that realism or is that us simply giving up? And we'll discuss that when we come back. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, 
where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end -end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back on another Friday afternoon with the Work-Life Balance. We're visiting with John Vespasian. He's uh, an eight-time author, and we're discussing consistency, the key to a balanced life. And right before we went to break, we were right on a point and wanted to give John an opportunity to respond to it. John, when, when we went to break, we were talking about um, you know positive thinking and whether or not it was a realistic goal. And, and I, I just kind of okay. wanted to further that point for a second. I mean, when I went to write my first book, uh, you know, I got turned down, you know, 200, 300 times by agents. Uh, and a lot of people said that we would never write a book. And, and, and now, you know, I've got four books on the market. You've got eight. Um, and when I wanted to do a speech, you wasn't sure that that, that was something I was going to do with a career. And it's taken me now 12, 13 years to build the audience to where I wanted to be and, and to become that keynote speaker. And, and so for some people, it happens immediately. And for some of us, we have a dream and we work hard. Um, so when we're talking about resistance and that positive thinking, um, when you identify that resistance, you're not necessarily saying quit, are you? I mean, you're not saying that's the danger of positive thinking here. Um, not at all. What I'm saying is that um, uh, your ambitions have to, be, have to be in line with your talent and with the market. And some careers, like um, uh, becoming a professional speaker or um, uh, a radio uh, moderator and uh, to have an audience, this takes time. Uh, even if you are extremely good, it still takes time uh, to build an audience, to, bit, uh, to build a network. But I, I find this uh, quite a realistic uh, focus approach. I would not call that positive thing. I would say just it's the normal resistance you find uh, to establish yourself in a, in, a, in a competitive profession. What I find unrealistic is uh, when people clearly lack um, the talent or they, they lack uh, the skills and they don't make any effort to acquire them. They have completely unrealistic uh, expectations of success in the short term. And this kind of, um, uh, I would say, unrealistic um, uh, vision, it cannot be cured uh, through positive thinking. 
I think positive thinking uh, would only make them even more unrealistic. And this is why I think that um, uh, it's always uh, difficult to find the balance uh, when you should persist, uh, when you should quit, uh, when you should invest additional resources. Uh, the only answer I can tell you is to, by looking at uh, many uh, different uh, cases in history, and I can tell you example after example, uh, you get an idea of when you should actually uh, push forward and when you should quit. And it's only by looking at uh, dozens, hundreds of examples that you get a feeling of, um, of people. And let, let me just give you an example. Look, everybody is, uh, is familiar with, uh, uh, with the, the music of Vivaldi. Uh, Vivaldi, uh, he, uh, he wrote a lot of concerts. He was a very famous uh, composer and performer um, late uh, 17th century. And Vivaldi lived in Venice. Huh? He, uh, he was there. He was a priest at the beginning. Uh, he was uh, teaching music. And little by little, he branched out into uh, commercial music. Uh, he started to compose um, uh, concertos, and he, uh, he got uh, royalty. He got a part of the income from the theater. So he had a very nice life. Uh, he made a good income. He was well established. And at a certain point, uh, he wanted to have more. He wanted to be more successful. And some of his friends, uh, they pushed him to say, look, you are losing your time, you're wasting your life, this is a small city, you could conquer the world. And they put in his, in his head uh, these dreams of, uh, of grandiosity, and they said, what you really have to do, uh, Antonio, Antonio Vivaldi, what you have to do is to put together your ensemble and to perform music in uh, all European cities. And they push him, they push him, they push him, and in the end, uh, Vivaldi make a huge mistake uh, he quit his job, he quit uh, his um, uh, the city, and uh, he started to tour around in Europe uh, trying to sell his uh, music. And uh, he got some bookings, uh, he made some, uh, some appearances in some cities, in Naples, in, uh, also he went to Vienna, but it was a complete disaster because the market was too small. Uh, he completely uh, misread the market, he thought that uh, other cities would be as sophisticated as Venice, and Venice was really the capital of European uh, entertainment at the time of music, and other cities, I mean, he got a few bookings, but he spent so much money traveling and paying his, uh, his ensemble that in the end, after three years, he was completely bankrupt, completely exhausted. He went to Vienna trying to find a job, and in the end, uh, he died on his way to Vienna. So when you see these kind of examples in history, you get a feeling that uh, you should not push too hard sometimes. If the market is not there, you have to be careful. You have to be careful not to follow a, a career where the market is uh, too narrow. I think that's fair. And I think what you said earlier uh, also kind of, you know, validated your point that if if you you aren't trying to acquire the skill set or if you're not trying to better yourself or grow and you're still wishing for that success, then that's then that's the area in which, you know, you're really becoming unrealistic. And I think that that was a very important point that that you made. You know, because for every story that you have of a Vivaldi, you know, you have a story of somebody like a Paul Martinelli uh, who who runs the John Maxwell team here in, in the United States who was, you know, he, he had like an eighth grade education. Uh, you know, he didn't finish high school. He had a stuttering problem. He, you know, was a janitor uh, at, at a school and then, you know, found his calling and basically now is a multimillionaire and r- runs an incredible uh, company. And everybody along the way told him he would never amount to anything. And, and through just sheer hard work, you know, work and, and sheer will, 
he does. So, I mean, I think, you know, we have stories on opposite ends of the spectrum that, that you know, people share on both sides. Yes, fair enough. Uh, what I'm trying to convey is that um, um, you have to align your talents and your ambitions with the market. Uh, sometimes uh, you can uh, carve yourself a niche uh, where you, you can develop a very successful career. Sometimes you can even create a new market, but uh, you always have to be prudent. You have to be in touch with reality, and you have to be uh, skeptical about uh, people making promises. Uh, it always takes longer than you think. It always requires more effort than you think. And um, unless you see a clear path uh, in the next 10, 20 years and say, I want to get um, to this point, I want to work to get uh, to this um, uh, level of success, uh, be careful uh, when, you're, when you're in markets that are too small uh, because they might look, um, I mean, Rick, when you hear, when you get uh, your daughter or your son saying, oh, I want to be an actress in Hollywood, uh, your third reaction uh, is, okay, well, wait a moment, uh, finish your studies. Uh, get a job, and then we will see. Because um, I think um, people get sometimes carried away by their enthusiasm, and uh, you see that uh, nine out of ten companies uh, eventually fail. So you have to be careful. You have to be rational. And the purpose of my work is uh, to make people a little bit more rational, and I think this will increase your chances of success dramatically. And I think that's a fair point. So you you were listing a link in in, in one of your uh, one of your books between a balanced life and a longer life expectancy. Let's let's talk about that. What what is that link? Well, the the link uh, is that um, uh, when you are in a situation where you are unhappy, you are unbalanced because I mean you don't like your job or you have problems with uh, your family, you don't have enough time to, uh, to follow your, um, your ambitions or to follow your hobbies or whatever you want to do, uh, it uh, creates a lot of stress. And I think everybody now is familiar with the uh, health problems uh, that come from stress. I mean, hyperventilation, you get a high blood pressure, uh, you cannot sleep properly, uh, you get headaches. I mean, everything that goes together with stress. And this tends to shorten uh, your life. Sometimes, I mean, it's very difficult to quantify and some people have tried to quantify the, the uh, noxious uh, effects of stress, but you could say um, it's going to shorten your life certainly at least for a few years. Uh, if you get uh, in a life that um, it's, uh, it's creating health problems for yourself, um, I mean, you have to get out of this, uh, this situation because eventually uh, you will get a warning, you might get a heart attack, a, a soft, a, a mild heart attack, you might get um, uh, extremely high blood pressure. These are warnings that uh, something is wrong in your life, and it will not solve the problem if you just take medication, because the medication will just uh, take care of the symptoms, but it will not uh, actually remove the cause of the, of the stress and the unhappiness, which is a, a misalignment uh, between your goals and your actions. And this is uh, something that is difficult to hear because all of us would prefer to take just med medication, uh, would prefer to meditate uh, 10 minutes per day and then the problem is solved, but you have to really address the underlying problem. And the underlying problem 99% of the time is inconsistency. Yeah, everything worthwhile is uphill, right? Everybody wants the quick pill, the quick fix, something like that to, to fix whatever it is that they're looking for, but generally it's a change. And it's a change of either a destructive habit or a destructive lifestyle. So do you see that, that, that it's a lot of times those habits that, that's causing that for them? 
Yes, but, um, uh, it's very difficult to acquire uh, good habits because it requires uh, long-term thinking. And this is something that I really underline um, uh, extensively in my books because um, one of the keys, I think, to happiness and to success, as proven by many cases in history, is that uh, you really push yourself uh, to think long-term, uh, to think not in terms of months or years, but to think in terms of decades, uh, to think in, th- in terms of a lifetime. And then you can see whether an investment uh, in your career, an investment in the, in the what is, uh, assets, and you buy a house or you invest um, to, uh, to secure your pension, you see whether these kind of investments really pay off because you see uh, what your life will be like in 10, 20, 30 years. If you don't have this kind of uh, long-term perspective, then everything is, um, is really up for grabs because you are going to get um, uh, into temptation to eat bad food, uh, to drink um, uh, things that are dangerous, uh, to have a very careless uh, lifestyle that is going to undermine your long-term success. But unless you really force yourself to think long-term, uh, the temptations are too many, and uh, who is not going to, who's going to resist uh, to a little bit more uh, soda or chocolate, alcohol, uh, pizza, and this kind of stuff? I mean, you really have to learn to think long-term. And this is the, the key to a balanced life, uh, the key to a successful and happy life, because otherwise um, you will destroy uh, your life little by little. And again, we live in that instant gratification world where everybody does want that uh, that quick beer, that quick piece of chocolate cake, whatever it is that that, that they're looking for. And and unfortunately, those everything that tastes good is bad for us. That, that's the unfortunate part of everything. So we're going to go ahead and take another break right here. We're visiting with John Vespasian. He's uh, you can visit him at at John Vespasian. It's J O H N V E S P A. S-I-A-N. You can find him on Twitter. You can find me at, at Rick A. Morris, and we, of course, have all of his links and uh, profile on our page at voiceamerica.com. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. 
Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we are back. And so we've been visiting now with John, um, you know, for both segments. And, and John, you know, you already talked about... Um, you know, how you look to history for your lessons. What's one of your most favorite lessons you've learned or maybe even the, you know, one of the things that inspired you to start going down this path of the, of the rational thinking? Well, uh, one of my favorite stories uh, is the story of um, um, Howard Carter. And Carter was an archaeologist um, a bit uh, by chance because he became an archaeologist um, uh, after being a, a designer uh, he was hired um, by the um, Egyptian administration to make drawings of, um, of uh, the Egyptian tombs. He was a very, very, um, uh, I would say, unschooled uh, person because he, he went to school only two years in his life. Uh, he could read. Uh, he could uh, draw a little bit, but that was all. I mean, he didn't have a profession or anything, but he was hired to go to Egypt and to make drawings of uh, different buildings for publication. So he just hung around there. He, uh, he started to read about uh, Egyptian antiquities, um, about uh, the temples and the tombs. And slowly he started to, be, he started to become um, very interested in the possibility of finding uh, new discoveries. And uh, he developed the idea that uh, he could find the tomb of uh, Tutankhamun. And he, um, he devoted uh, a lot of time, he, all his free time for reading, researching, but everybody was telling him that he was crazy that, uh, look, uh, Howard, this uh, has been found uh, hundreds of years ago. It has been pillaged, and there is nothing else to find. Uh, everything has been discovered already. And uh, he found a sponsor. He found the financial backer. And uh, he spent, and this is the, the fascinating part of the story, he spent 10 years of his life uh, making holes in the ground, uh, living a completely unbalanced life because he did uh, nothing else. I mean, he just got up in the morning. He, uh, he made a square he made uh, measurements on the ground. He started to make holes. And he did that for 10 years under the sun of Egypt. It's very hot there. And uh, the, the, um, the whole world uh, was laughing at him. I mean, he was really being uh, savagely attacked in the newspapers. Uh, all the professors thought that he was crazy, that he had no chance, that he would never find anything. And in the end, uh, after the 10 years, uh, when the money was running off and he was about uh, to, to declare his failure, in the last week he found the tomb of Tutankhamun 
and he became the most famous archaeologist in history. He became very wealthy, very famous, and he was very successful. And uh, what is really fascinating about the story, and I really, um, I've written about this extensively, how could Howard Carter sustain his motivation for 10 years, uh, lead this uh, very lonely and very unbalanced life in the middle of the desert? Uh, what was actually his mind uh, when everybody was telling him that he was crazy, how did he manage to maintain his motivation? And this is a question that, uh, if you get the right answer, uh, can really solve uh, a, lot of, um, uh, a lot of issues in your life because you will understand what the balanced life is, you will understand uh, how to maintain a rational motivation, and uh, how to actually deal with opposition. And the answer to the question is that Howard Carter was able to maintain his motivation and was able to actually to, to face uh, successfully the, the complete uh, uh, world of scientists of the early 20th century because he was the only one who took the trouble to check the sources. And he learned uh, to read ancient Egyptians, he learned to read the uh, hieroglyphics, uh, went to the sources, and he was convinced himself through rational analysis by checking the facts, he was convinced that uh, what he was looking for had to be there. He knew that uh, there were sources uh, from, different, um, from different temples saying the tomb is in this area. So the only thing he had to do was to make holes until he found it. And even if everybody else was telling him that uh, he had no chance, he was maintaining his motivation because he was checking the facts. So the message of the story, which I find um, one of my, it's my favorite story, I think, uh, for one of my books, is that, look, the important thing to, ma to maintain a balanced life in the way that uh, is going to make you happy, which might be very different from what other people are doing, is actually to understand what you want, uh, to make sure that uh, it's rationally sustainable and that uh, there is a market and there is a possibility to get what you want. And if you do it in this way, it doesn't matter if you are, um, from the point of view of other people, if you are completely uh, out of range, if you are completely unbalanced, if you are completely, um, I would say, uh, unorthodox uh, in your ways, because if you have a rational basis uh, for your beliefs and your ambitions, uh, you have all the chances on your side. It makes complete sense. So with that being said, though, and, and you use that term rational quite a bit, what, what in, in that story, though, other than him knowing would you say was, was rational in the, in the behavior? Well, it was rational in the sense that um, he was super organized. I mean, uh, this was not uh, a crazy person who says, okay, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. I mean, what is amazing in the story of uh, Howard Carter, there is zero, zero positive thinking. There is zero uh, law of attraction. There is zero, um, uh, I would say, delusional thinking. He was a guy who checked the facts, who took the trouble, uh, that nobody else did, to go through the ancient sources, uh, to learn to read the uh, ancient Egyptians. He found a uh, financial backer because he convinced uh, a, a British aristocrat uh, to, to provide some funding for the excavations. So he actually uh, managed to convince uh, people who wanted to listen to reason, and he just ignored uh, all the prejudice and ignorance that uh, was prevalent at the time. And this is an important lesson because whatever you do in life, you are going to find yourself uh, from time to time uh, dealing with situations of very heavy resistance. And the only, the only answer you can get um, uh, what to do is to look at the facts, 
and to try to make uh, rational choices. Very interesting. So is, is there another story you'd like to tell from, from a historical perspective, maybe on the other side of yes, that? Uh, I, yes, I would like to take another story about uh, health and balance, which is also um, uh, a European story. It's the story of uh, a, a man who was, his name is Thomas Parr, and actually there's a, a brand of whiskey uh, named after uh, Thomas Parr. And the Thomas Parr, um, it was proven in history that uh, he lived uh, 150 years. He became very, very old because he had a very healthy uh, lifestyle. He lived on the countryside. Uh, he ate um, uh, vegetables and fruit and uh, bread and some cheese. This was his diet. And uh, he did it for, uh, it was actually a very boring diet because he lived in the, in the village. Uh, he, was, he had been eating that for, for years and years and years. And then the, the king of England uh, heard about uh, Thomas Parr and said, oh, what's his secret uh, to become so old? And he invited uh, Thomas Parr to come to London, to come to the royal palace, and to talk to all his ministers, to talk to the court. So Thomas Parr was very, very uh, pleased to go to London. Um, they gave him a, a nice room in the palace. They gave him a, a huge breakfast, a huge dinner. Uh, next day, there were a lot of celebrations, and he, he got to eat for the first time in his life a cake and a chicken and a lamb, and he ate and ate and ate and ate. And uh, three days later, he was dead. Uh, he could not actually put up with all the changes in his life. He had such a drastic uh, change of diet that he could not take it. So after a very, very long and successful life, uh, he could not even sustain himself for three days uh, in a bad environment. And the, the lesson is unmistakable. I mean, you have to be careful um, what kind of habits you get. Because if you get the right habits, uh, you can live very, very long and very, very healthily. And you just start to, uh, to fall to temptation and to eat uh, bad food and to, uh, to try to, um, to do uh, too many things and to get too much stress, eventually you will pay the price. Very interesting. So when, when you're looking at these, this different balance of, of work and life and in chasing your dreams or not, what do you feel other than, and you've kind of mentioned it already, but I just want to reiterate it. What do you feel is that appropriate balance? Well, the appropriate balance is um, uh, to see if what you are doing is sustainable. And I would write uh, the word uh, sustainability with capital letters because for me the question is, look, you have to look at your life. You're going to live uh, 80, 90 years, 95 years, and you have to look at things in this perspective. And the question you have to ask yourself is, do I have a rational chance of uh, success, a rational chance of happiness if I follow this path or if I do this, um, this uh, work, if I follow this career, or if I marry this particular person. And you have to see down the road what it's going to look like in 10, 20, 30 years. And if you do that consistently and you actually stop yourself from taking uh, short-sighted decisions, you will do very well because you will do uh, something that uh, only a small percentage of the population is doing, which is to try to think long-term. And this is the key to balance and the key, I think, also to uh, longevity. And we're going to stop right there, take our final break of this afternoon. We'll be right back on the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris.
Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world, where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end -end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end -end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to our final segment of the Work-Life Balance. We've been visiting this whole time with John Vespasian. He's in the Netherlands and uh, he's an eight-time author. And we've been discussing consi consistency, the key to a balanced life. And, and speaking to a balanced life, John, um, what do you think the key to uh, emotional balance is in, in good times and bad times? Well, I think the key is to, uh, to acquire a, a balanced rational philosophy. Um, which is easy to say, it's very easy to say, but it's very difficult to do. And uh, the whole purpose of my work is uh, actually to try to establish the principles, to try to analyze um, uh, different stories. And let me just um, uh, tell you another story, uh, because the problem is, is that if you don't have a, a well-balanced um, approach, a philosophy or a point of view, uh, failure uh, will kill you, but success will also kill you. Because um, no matter where you end up, uh, you will start to make uh, mistake after mistake. And let me just give you an example. Look, I think uh, most people have heard of uh, Bobby Fischer, who was a chess uh, world champion um, many years ago. It was about 30 years ago. Uh, he was, in a, I think, the, the best uh, known ever American chess player. Uh, he beat uh, the Russians. He became a world champion. And he was 
uh, on TV almost every day. He became extremely, um, uh, I would say, very attractive for sponsors. Uh, he made a um, uh, very, very good impression. I mean, he was very intelligent, uh, handsome, uh, well-spoken. And then um, uh, when he became very successful after really uh, fighting for, for 10 years, because he had to really uh, play chess uh, 10, 10 hours a day, uh, in the end, uh, he destroyed his life completely in a matter of months. And the story is uh, it's a horrible story, uh, but it gives you um, a clear picture of what happens uh, when you all don't have a, a balanced philosophy, because Fisher, he was a very good chess player. But the problem is that uh, he was very unbalanced in his life because he never had time to go to school, never had time to read books, never had time to study history or to study philosophy or to study psychology. He never had time for anything because he was 100% uh, focused on, uh, on playing chess. And the problem is that uh, as soon as he became uh, king of the world, and he became the world champion and everybody was trying to get him on TV, on newspapers, magazines, he, he, he completely got out of touch with reality. Because he started to fight uh, with the World Chess Federation about some uh, minutia about the rules uh, for playing for the chess uh, tournament the next year. I mean, really nonsense. I mean, he started to fight with them. Uh, then he, um, he was fed up with, um, uh, with the taxes in the U.S. He quit uh, the United States. He went to play chess in Serbia when there was an embargo by the U.S., and he became a fugitive. Uh, the FBI was, uh, was hunting him um, uh, across the world. Eventually, he got arrested in Japan, and he was extradited. He was about to be extradited to the United States. And he got um, assistance from Iceland uh, because he had been playing there, the world champion in a small country in the northern Europe. And eventually, he went back in exile. He went to, uh, to Iceland. and uh, He stayed there for the last um, uh, 20 years of his life in a small island, basically uh, completely isolated, uh, not being able to play chess, and living a very, very um, uh, modest life. How is it possible that such an intelligent person, such a brilliant uh, chess player, uh, completely destroyed his life in a matter of, uh, of months? And the problem is that um, uh, he was not balanced. He didn't know about uh, history, philosophy, anything. He was uh, a very much uh, abstract thinker, but with very little practical touch. And what happened at the end of the story? And the end of the story is fascinating because what did uh, Fisher do the last uh, 10 years of his life? He read books. He would go uh, every day uh, to a second-hand bookshop in uh, Reykjavik. He would start to read history, philosophy, uh, psychology, uh, all the good stuff. He read book after book after book because he realized that uh, all the mistakes in his life, he had made those mistakes out of ignorance, out of uh, lack of balance, lack of uh, rational philosophy. And in the end, when he was about to die, um, very sadly, in Reykjavik, uh, he actually uh, realized and he actually made a statement that uh, he wished he had time to get an education, uh, he had time to actually to read more, because he would have prevented uh, those uh, foolish mistakes. So one of the questions we'd love to ask each one of our guests that comes on to the show is, what is some of the best advice you've ever received? Well, um, the best advice I got uh, when I started to write is that um, you have to be realistic about the time it takes uh, to write a book and to promote a book. And um, at the beginning, I didn't actually uh, have any idea of how many hours you have to put uh, to write a book. 
But um, later by little, I realized that uh, the advice was, um, was very realistic, that I have to really be patient with myself because I get sometimes impatient when I cannot write uh, uh, good sentences, I cannot write clearly. And what the person told me, he was a publisher, told me, look, um, maybe you can write the book in a few months, but uh, you will need maybe half a year just to edit the book until it's ready for publication because uh, editing is really a huge amount of work and uh, most uh, authors actually um, uh, do not appreciate what it takes. And the same goes for marketing. He told me that I would have to spend a lot of uh, time doing interviews because otherwise uh, the books would be dead. Uh, he was perfectly right. Uh, it took me a while to actually to accept uh, the advice, but then I took it to heart and I tried to do it uh, as much as I can. That's great advice. It is a uh, it is a labor of love. Uh, the book publishing world, uh, for sure, is, as well as you know, most people think you you write a book, you throw it on a shelf, and it sells itself. But uh, the the marketing, the the intensity of what we have to do to get it sold, uh, most people don't understand, and that's why we love to say you know people say they want to do what we do. We have to be willing to have done what we've done. Is that <laughs> you, you? You feel that statement? Hundred percent, and. Um um, it's very difficult in any uh, business to get a feeling for the figures. And this is, I would say, it's, um, it's something that goes together with balance because when you don't know something, uh, you become very unrealistic. You think that uh, it's, uh, it takes, I don't know, like a small investments of time, a small investment of energy. But when you actually know the numbers and you know that uh, you can sell this amount of books or you can get this, this, small, this uh, amount of uh, listeners to a show, or you can get uh, this amount of, um, uh, I would say, release for a movie, for this kind of advertising. I mean, you get the feeling for the figures, then you actually understand the business. And I think you actually understand life. Because if you know the figures for, um, for the uh, success rate, uh, you will make better decisions. And you will be especially, uh, you will have your peace of mind because you know that uh, it takes a certain amount of effort and you just have to keep going until you actually meet uh, the requirements. Well, John, we certainly appreciated having you on the show. Thank you so much for spending the time with us and uh, good luck to you in, in your new book and, and let us know when it comes out. We'll have you back on. Okay. Many thanks, uh, Rick. Thank you so much. And coming up, gang, uh, the next week, April 3rd through the 7th, I'm going to be doing a uh, exam prep tra- training here in Birmingham, doing a five-day seminar there. April 12th, you can find me on the virtual summit for CA Technologies. We'll be talking about the struggle between Agile and project management. Uh, April 24th, I'll be at the Springtime ITA Conference in Tampa, Florida. And then shortly thereafter, we'll be doing the television show called Moving America Forward uh, with William Shatner. There'll be more to come about that. Other than that, we love you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, as always, on the Work-Life Balance. And we'll be talking to you next week. You've been listening to Rick Morris. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 